Now, we want to turn tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I suggest that we will stand as we, stand, as we read the Word of God out of respect for His Word. We thank the Lord for the ministry tonight already. My heart's been strangely warmed. And we thank God for those who've so graciously ministered to us tonight. 2 Kings chapter 6, and reading from the first verse. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now the place where you dwell with you, where we dwell with you, is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan. Let every man take a beam from there. Let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So, when, so he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it there, in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. May God anoint his word as we bow in a moment of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the sense of your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have honored your own word that has said that where we gather together in your name, there I am in the midst. We believe that you're here tonight unseen to the eye, natural eye, but real to the eye of faith. Open our eyes to see and behold wondrous things out of your word. Minister to all of our hearts. There are many kinds of needs gathered here tonight. Some are known, some are unknown. Some are known only to yourself. There may be struggles, there may be battles, conflicts. There may be problems that seem to be beyond human control. There may be situations that somehow have no human solution. But we come to a great God about whom we've been singing tonight. One that is awesome. One whose ways are higher than our ways. One that is able to do exceeding abundantly above that which we ask or think. We bow tonight to dare to believe God for the impossible. Now speak to all of our hearts, focus our thinking, captivate our attention. Grant that indeed, as we leave tonight, we have heard, would have heard that other voice, yea, the voice of the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In his book, The 100, 
the ranking of the most influential persons in history, the author by the name of Michael Hort sought to place history's most important men, important people, in order of the impact on the earth. It was an interesting analysis. This ranking was not based upon the individual's moral worth or strength of character, but simply he simply sought to recognize the overall significance of their lives and philosophies upon the community of men. Number one was Muhammad. Number two was Sir Isaac Newton. And number three, Jesus Christ. The question would rise, of course, why Jesus would be ranked behind men like Muhammad and Isaac Newton. And Hart went on to explain that the Son of God was demoted from the top position solely because of the inability of his followers to obey and to implement his teachings. This disqualified him in their rankings from being number one. Because those who claimed to follow him, who claimed to accept what he taught, failed to introduce and to implement his teachings. He gave some very serious teachings, quite frankly. He told us that if we want to save our lives, we've got to lose it. I don't think we're all so interested in that part of the teaching. He told us that if we want to be first, we'll have to be last. He told us that the up, way up with God is down before men. He told us some things, friends, that cut completely across many lifestyles in the Christian world today. You see, Jesus was a revolutionary. He cut across the status quo. And then he turns around and he says to his followers, if you want to follow me, come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Tonight we have an interesting story before us. It's the story of what I call the last axe head. It's the account of Elisha and the workers. They have what you would call an expansion policy. The group of workers at the time were expanding their ministry. They found themselves under the challenge of go. And as they went to do what they were commanded to do, there was one particular man that ran into a problem. The problem was that while together with others they were cutting down trees to rebuild and to expand their kingdom, while he was doing this, the axe heads the cutting edge, the instrument of his identity, that which would cause him to be effective and to have the desired impact, fell into the waters 
and he carried on hacking away and hacking away, but the trees were not falling. It's possible to find ourselves in that condition. Here were servants of God, obedient to the commission that was granted to them, fulfilling that which was the challenge to which they had responded. And yet at the same time, this man was totally ineffective. He'd lost the cutting edge of that for which he was assigned to do. Some years ago, I was in a conference with the Assembly of God leaders down in the KwaZulu-Natal area of South Africa. And the men had gathered. And there was a great burden on the hearts of some of these godly men with whom we met that day to discuss and to wrestle with some of the issues facing the assemblies. And the question that emerged was this. Why are we not seeing the things that happened to form our assemblies? We're not seeing supernatural demonstrations like we used to experience. We're not seeing a gathering of souls like we used to have. We're not experiencing the miraculous that characterized the early days of our movement within the nation. And the brother Jim Mullen who came from Ireland and plowed through the country and built assemblies across the nation as people saw signs and wonders taking place. They sensed that these people had something to offer, something to say, but somehow that is history. It's not happening. Instead, many confessed that day it's been a long time since last we've seen a miracle in our church. It's been a long time since last we've seen dramatic Damascus Road conversions. We keep going on and we go through the same routines and we copy that which is supposed to make churches successful and we try their gimmicks and we try what they're doing but somehow the axe head is missing. Somehow, we've lost the cutting edge of our ministries. Thank God there were those that day that were prepared to confess the state of affairs and refuse to live in a fool's paradise and to pretend that all was well because they have a particular brand of denominational significance. But at the same time, the power has been denied. The missing axe head, the cutting edge, is gone. He's hacking away, but the trees aren't falling. He's busy, but actually he might be having many numbers come. And the finances might be good, but at the same time, there is no longer that cutting edge that makes the church of Jesus Christ so unique and so distinct. It can happen in the life of a church. It can happen in the life of a denomination. But worst of all, 
it can happen in the life of an individual believer. Whereby our doctrines are right, our agendas are in line, our programs have been implemented, but we've denied the power thereof. It's just not there. It's just not happening. And I would say today that there is an urgent need for a restoration of the power of God within the heart and life of our churches. Otherwise, we're just a religious club. For that kind of club, we don't need God. All you need to do is change the shepherd's heart for the business mind. And you can run a church and keep it effective. It'll turn over week after week. And the numbers will be there because we'll try this gimmick and that gimmick. But people will walk in and walk out just the same. Just the same. As one AOG pastor in Australia said to me, they come Sunday by Sunday, they fall over backwards, they get up and there's no change. What are we doing, friends? Where are we going? Have we lost our direction? Is it possible we're hacking away, but the cutting edge is gone? Jesus died on that cross to produce a life-saving church. He died on the cross to produce a church that would influence the world and not allow the world to influence the church. The cutting edge. The effectiveness. The winning of the lost. The evangelistic fervor. And we can find ourselves going on like Samson of old where the Bible says there came a place in his life when he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed. And he carried on just the way he was carrying on. But the Spirit of God had gone. We lose the sense of reality we lose the sense of the relevance of what we believe. The romance goes. And the risk factor is not there anymore because somehow our faith has been so controlled. We're afraid to take steps of faith anymore. There are three simple things I want to take from this story which has been recorded not just for the sake of interesting Jewish history, but recorded that we might understand that God has a word recorded long ago that we can apply today. And the first thing that I want to draw to your attention in this story tonight is that the axe head, this instrument, this part of his function was loaned. It was loaned to him. He said, alas, my master, it is loaned. It was never mine in the first place. It was something that was loaned to me. And that which was loaned to me has fallen into the waters. 
is missing. And I'm standing embarrassed because I don't know how to explain my position anymore. It was loan. You see, God wants to make us all effective. That's why he promised the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, without me, you can't do nothing. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that the fruit should remain. Herein is the Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, fruit that glorifies him, not some personality or some personal kingdom, but the kingdom of God. This acts had this tool of effectiveness, if we might call it that, was not his from the beginning. It was loaned to him. It was loaned to him, friends. It was loaned, I would say, firstly, firstly, on compassionate grounds. Because he didn't have it in the first place. Someone saw his need. Someone saw that there was something lacking in his life, in his ministry, and they on compassionate grounds loaned it to him in order that he might be effective. Someone has said in life, we are responsible how we live, but in death, we are accountable how we lived. I heard a story just this week about a man that a pastor that visited one of his elders from his congregation who was busy dying. And as this pastor sought to minister to this dear brother, he said, I'm not afraid to die. I know I'll be acceptable. But I'll tell you what's worrying me. I'm afraid for the accountability. I'm afraid of the accountability. In life, we are responsible how we live. In death, we are accountable of what happened, of the time. We had at our disposal of the opportunities that were given to us, to the role that we were called to play. What a role it has been. It was granted to him on the grounds of compassion because he did not have it in the first place. It was loaned to him. It was also loaned to him not only on the grounds of compassion, but it was loaned conditionally in order that he, he might be effective, in order that he might be able to fulfill his God-given assignment. You see, each one of them was on assignment. Each one of them had a task to do. And with their bare hands, they could not do it, friends. They needed an axe to be able to, that was sharp. An axe that was able to cut down those trees and fulfill the task assigned to them. We have all been given a task. We've been assigned. We are not here on planet Earth for our own enterprises. We are here on a divine mission. That's why you're in the kingdom of God. You see, friends, there are two kingdoms. 
There's the kingdom of God. And there's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil. Now, in the kingdom of darkness, there's one set of rules. In the kingdom of light, there are another set of rules. I come to your country from South Africa. And I noticed something rather interesting. I noticed that you folks drive on the other side of the road. I notice that you drive on the right side of the road. We drive on the correct side. Of the <laughs> now, I come here with an international driver's license, and I say, hang on, I'm a South African, and you guys are all in America, but I think I'm going to drive here the way I've always allowed to drive back home. I will be in trouble. <laughs> I can't live here by the rules of South Africa. I'm in another kingdom here. Now, in the kingdom of darkness, there are rules, and it's simply this, you can do as you like. It's like going on a ship. There are different classes. Economy class, and business class, I suppose, and tourist class, and all the rest of it. But then one day, you're out on this cruise, and there's an announcement, and the announcement runs like this, that from today, there's no class distinction. In fact, the shops are open, and you're allowed to help yourself. Do what you, take what you want. In fact, you can play football in the, in the, in the dining room, if you like. You can do exactly what you like on the ship, but just remember one thing, the ship's sinking. That's all. That's the rules of the kingdom of darkness. That's how you live in the kingdom of darkness. We can do as we like. The rules of God don't matter if they don't suit me. And I live by my own dictates of the flesh and the influences round about me. I'm living by the rules of the kingdom of darkness. But my friends, the day you come out of that kingdom are transformed from darkness to light. You come into another kingdom. And guess who's the king? And there are rules in this kingdom. You can't do as you like. Because your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now why do we come out of the kingdom of darkness, friends, into the kingdom of light, and we seem to live by the rules of the kingdom of darkness? And then we wonder why we don't have a cutting edge. We wonder why the world mocks us. And Christianity becomes the biggest joke in the world. Hollywood cashes in on the opportunity. Because we're living by the other rules, the kingdom of darkness. You see, it's conditionally. And within the confines of this wonderful kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's on condition. We fulfill the divine purpose for which we were born. Long before you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were conceived in the mind of God. We lived down here for how many years? What's allotted to us? Hmm? Anybody awake out there? 
Hmm? How many years are we supposed to have down here? Hmm? 70? 80? Maybe 80. Some even get more. Some less. But if I told you tonight that 70 million years from tonight, we'd all be alive. 70 million years from tonight, we'll all still be alive. Look, you won't be in Connecticut if that's worrying some of you folks from Pennsylvania. <laughs> we will be changed. But the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, a spark of life was generated that lives forever. Either in heaven or in hell, you live forever. We are eternal beings, the Bible says. Now, suppose 70 million years' time, earthly time, of course, we are getting together and we are singing a few songs and having some fellowship, and someone says, hang on, what did we do? Was that 70 or 69 million years ago? Uh, what did we do down there on planet Earth? How did we consume our 69, 70 years, 80 years? What did we do with that little speck of time? Some will say, well, I spent most of my time walking behind a golf ball. Others were running after the almighty dollar that got smaller and smaller and smaller. What am I trying to say? In 70 million years' time, the stock exchange will mean nothing. The football games will amount to nothing. The only thing that will count in 70 million years' time and that's just the beginning of eternity, is what you've done for Jesus. And Satan knows that, and so he'll gladly rob you of it. And he'll get you off track. And the cutting edge will go with it into those waters of compromise, into those pools of sin. Eventually you'll keep working to impress others, to impress yourself. But the, bait, the bottom line will be actually be deceiving ourselves. Deception. It was loaned. The second point I want you to notice is that the axe head was lost. It was lost. He'd been working for a while, and all of a sudden, he loses it. And that moment, his effectiveness stops. That moment, his significance goes. He might not have even known it. Interesting, it, was, it happened while he was busy. He wasn't loafing on the side. He was active. He was doing what he was supposed to do. The only problem was, friends, he didn't realize what he was supposed to do. He didn't realize what was actually taking place, that while he is hacking away and hacking away, friends, while he's busy, the axe head is getting looser and looser and looser, and one moment, it's too late. And the axe head is lost in those waters. And his experience is history. And all he can do is think back of those days and opportunities he had before. You see, friends, we can be so busy 
pretending that we don't know what's happening. And the axe head's getting looser and loose, and we don't even realize it. And we only suddenly wake up. I was flying into Dallas some years ago. I'd just come back from Russia. We had traveled all over Russia preaching the gospel. Sitting across the aisle was a Russian lady. Didn't realize until we got talking. And when she discovered that I just returned from Russia, she was very interested to in what I was doing. I was part of a team and where we'd been. And I explained to her, we'd gone to share the Christian gospel. I discovered that she was a senior lecturer in linguistic studies in a Texan university. She said, this faith about which you talk, where did you get it from? I said, what do you mean? She said, you know, I was raised in Russia, and we were raised and brainwashed not to believe. Since I've been working here in this country, everybody's been trying to convert me to Christianity, but I've made an interesting discovery that people here are brainwashed to believe. And quite frankly, there's no difference. It's possible in a Western free world country, and I'll include our own country, to be brainwashed to believe. But by the way, the devils believe and tremble. It's possible that it's possible to be standing in a pulpit like this and preaching the gospel and still be on the way to hell yourself. I was preaching in a town down in the Eastern Cape, South Africa. At the end of the meeting, a well-dressed gentleman came to talk. And he said, I want you to pray for me. I said, what can we pray about? And he hesitated. And he said, I am a pastor of a church down the road here. But I've never been born again. I don't know the Jesus about whom I preach. I've misled and deceived my congregation for years. That night, that pastor got on his knees and gave his heart to Jesus. You see, friends, we can be busy, but accomplish nothing. When you lose the cutting edge in your life, that can come through disobedience, that can come through laziness, that can come through lukewarmness, that can come in a multitude of ways, friends. We carry on working, and we don't even realize that we're accomplishing nothing. What a state to find himself in. It could have been due to negligence. Samson discovered this when he woke up and did not realize that the Spirit of God had departed from the man. I think those are about the most tragic words in the Bible. When the Spirit of God departs and you don't even know it. Have you got cold in your heart, my friend? Has sin become attractive to you? That somehow it has caused the cutting edge to go, oh, you're keeping busy. You're on every committee in your church. You're functioning. But somehow it's lost its romance and dynamic. 
lost its sense of urgency. The waters of worldliness, the ponds of indifference, the swamps of sluggishness have begun to take their toll. Somehow, the exit is lost. Isn't it time, friends, as individuals? Isn't it time as families? Isn't it time as churches to get back to the place where the axe head is in action and functioning and the trees are beginning to fall? We'll talk about it, friends. We'll agree theologically. Somehow, we don't seem to mind. But the trees aren't falling. The axe head is lost. Is lost. I'm happy to conclude with the fact that although the axe head was loaned, although it was lost, it was also located. That's the end of the story, by the way. You see, I always rejoice to remind myself that God always has the final word. Not the doctor or the lawyer, but God will have the final word. Why? It's his church, by the way. It's not ours. We just here as servants. We are here to fulfill a plan, and he'll give you the credit for it, even though we, there was nothing we did. He'll give you a crown for it, even though we did nothing. All he wants is a faithful generation of men and women that understand the urgency of the times, understand the importance of what we're doing, and understand what the ultimate analysis will be. The axe head was located. And the question is how? The question is how? Look at what the word has to say. The word always leaves us in no doubt whatsoever. The first thing that the prophet asked when he said, Alas, it is missing, <clears throat> was where did it fall? That's the first thing. Where did it fall? Where did it go wrong? Where did it slip out of control? Where somehow did you let things slide and never rectify them? Where did things get out when you should have done something about it? It could well have been when we accommodated some kind of secret sin that we've never dealt with, some apology we've never faced, some issue, friends, we've never been willing to deal with, and we buried it and seem to think that somehow everything will work out. My friend, God does not sleep, for the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth them shall obtain mercy. That's right. Where did it fall? Where did things go wrong? Look back for a moment down through the whole rooms of your life. When I stopped my devotions and I thought I was too busy for that kind of thing, I'm amazed. I'm amazed how few Christians these days have a dynamic, daily, quiet time with God. I know one pastor said, I, 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 I just spend 10 minutes in a, in a shower uh, speaking in tongues and I preach on Sunday morning. You'll get a crowd. 
Any clown can get a crowd, by the way. But where are the men of God these days that spend time with God to hear a voice from God? Or do we wait until Saturday night to get some message on our iPads, on the internet, to get a message for the sheep of tomorrow? Where did it fall? Remember when Jesus went missing as a boy of 12 and the parents walked that day that left him back in the temple and the Bible says they supposing that Jesus was with them until the darkness descended. And then they made the discovery of their lives that somewhere they'd lost contact with Jesus. Somehow the contact, the tie had been broken and they only woke up when it was almost too late. They had to go back to the place where they left him. They had to start afresh. You talk about humbling yourself. By the way, that's the only way it works, by the way. There's never been a proud heart that goes to heaven. In fact, pride caused the devil to get out of heaven. Where did it go wrong? As long as there's been a spirit of unforgiveness buried down in your heart, as long as you've been justifying yourself and accusing everybody else, you'll never get it right that way, my friends. We have to come to the one place that Jesus came and was able to cry to for forgiveness for those who persecuted him. Then he did something else. Not only did he say, where, where did it uh, fall? But then it says here, he cut down a tree. Uh, verse 6, he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it therein. Quite amazing, really. I want you to turn with me for a moment to where this happened in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 15. And I... Uh, and, and I, I use this, I refer to this because it conveys this important principle. And I want you to grasp it. In Exodus 15, the children of Israel are in trouble. They are so in trouble, friends, that they did what we do when we are in trouble. They murmured. They criticized their leaders. See? And we read in Exodus chapter 15, verses 23, these words. Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained uh, against Moses saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. You get the, th the thought? Same idea. The children of Israel were in trouble. They reached the place where all they could do was criticize and complain. Long to get back to Egypt. The same thing happens here. He's lost his witness. He's lost his testimony. He's lost his effectiveness. The iron the, the is, is somewhere in those waters. He cuts down a tree. And he takes that tree, and the moment that tree made contact with the waters, friends, something supernatural happened. My friends, when we're in this predicament or in this situation, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and the, the, the effectiveness, the cutting edge is missing. Yeah. 
let me tell you what to do. There is one tree that you can take. It's called Calvary. It's a cross. It's a beam that was cut down. And the moment we come and take the cross and plunge it into the area of failure, somehow something happens. The cross is the place to get to. And you come to the cross the way Jesus came. Burdened, broken, with a humble heart. And the cross has a way of defying the laws of gravity, in this case. Of breaking through human barriers. Of doing the supernatural. The Bible says, the axe head began to swim. Began to swim. And there was one final word that he had to say. It is simply this. He says these words. Reach out and take it. Take it. He didn't say, prophet, you do it. After all, you're the prophet. We're paying you. No, you take it. No one can do it for you. It's something we all have to do. The interesting thing I find about the story, the moment he took that axe head, therefore he said, pick it up for yourself, verse 7. So he reached out his hand and he took it. And the story closed. The story of failure was closed forever. And he could go on in a new power with the cutting edge. You see, friends, there's something supernatural about meeting Jesus. You can't be the same anymore. The cutting edge, gone. When last did you win a soul to Christ? Analysis in the book called The Romance of Evangelism runs like this of church members in this country that 20% never pray. 30% never read the Bible. 40% never attend church. These are members. 50% never go to Sunday school. 60% never attend both services on Sunday. 70% never give to missions. 80% never go to a prayer meeting. 90% never have a family worship. And 95% have never led a soul to Jesus Christ. You talk about the cutting edge, gone. We've got to start somewhere, friends. And the truth of this, of the, the power and the, the transforming, the miraculous part of it, of restoring the cutting edge of the power of the gospel, was brought home very forcibly when some years ago, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I joined a group of folks that took us into Russia to just after the walls had come down and the curtain had dropped, and teams were able to go into Russia And we assembled in Moscow, and we caught a train for two nights, right into the central part of that vast country, into the Volga Valley. One night, I think the first or the second night, I was standing in the corridor, and a gentleman from Florida came to talk to me, a dear brother in Christ. He told me how that he is a retired lieutenant colonel of the American Army. He'd spent the last 10 years of his retirement, uh, of his time in the army before he retired, 
in a think tank in West Germany. This was during the days of the Cold War. And he said, well, I spent 10 years in this think tank in West Germany developing strategies that should war break out between our countries, we'd be able to successfully drop bombs in strategic places and wipe out as many Russians as possible. This was my job for 10 years. But he said, tonight I'm going into Russia not to spread death, but to spread life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next night we were in a city called Penza, a city of about a million people. We had a big rally downtown, and this particular gentleman was asked to give his testimony in that uh, crowd of people that had gathered, about a thousand people had gathered. And he shared with them what I've just told you now. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel of the American Army. I spent my last 10 years in the think tank in West Germany, strategizing how that we can eliminate as many Russians as possible. And so he went on, and he told them how he'd met Jesus, and God had given him a love for the Russian people. When he finished, a well-dressed Russian gentleman walked up to him and said, I'd like to talk to you in the privacy of my home. They took an interpreter and went to his home. When they came into the lounge of his home, the Russian gentleman turned to this lieutenant colonel and said, is it true what you said tonight, that you're a retired lieutenant colonel of the American army? He said, yes. Is it true that you spent 10 years in that think tank planning ways how you could destroy our Russian people? He said, yes, but I also told you tonight that I've met Jesus and he's changed my heart and given me a love for the Russian people. Then the Russian gentleman turned to him and said, I want you to know that I'm also a retired lieutenant colonel of the Russian army. I also spent my last years in a Russian think tank planning ways to destroy America. But I've also come to know the same Jesus you talk about tonight. And tonight, instead of being enemies, we are brothers. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the gospel is all about. That's the cutting edge that takes sworn enemies and makes them brothers. The power of the gospel. Small wonder Paul had to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We've got to get back to that cutting edge. As pastors, as leaders, as workers, as churches, friends, we've got to get back to the cutting edge and of our own strength we can't. There's not a human resource that can do it. It's the power of the Spirit, for it is not by might nor my power, by my Spirit, said the Lord. To revive the spirit of evangelism, not methods of evangelism, the spirit of evangelism in our churches. To revive our hearts for prayer and contact with God so that the world out there will know we've been with Jesus. Do they know that? May God enable us to restore, to have that cutting edge restored. Get back to the job. Close the chapter of failure and become God's man, God's woman for the hour in which we find ourselves. Father, 
I pray that your spirit, his faithfulness, will indeed interpret the word into all of our hearts. We are desperately in need of a restoration of the cutting edge. We are desperately in need for a fresh touch of holy fire to burn up the dross, to set our tongues alight, to make our lives shining testimonies to whom we belong and what it's all about. Where we've grown stale, where we've lost our first love, where things have slipped out of control, where we've left you somewhere along the road. Oh, God, forgive us. Help us to realize what we're doing and get back to the place where we can start afresh with you and allow the Spirit of God to proceed to do a supernatural new thing within our hearts to be your witnesses in a world that's sick, in a world in the grip of darkness, literally demonized. Oh God, we've got to be serious with this. We've got to come to that place where my Jesus is all we have. Jesus works through us. My friend, if you've lost the cutting edge, please don't live in denial. Face it. Or else you become prisoner of your own fate in your Christian walk. We're going to stand for just a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God. God has spoken to some life here tonight. He's spoken to some church. He's spoken to some heart. He's spoken to some ministry. And he says, yes, the cutting edge, where is it? Won't you come and ask him to restore that cutting edge in your life? To make you all that he would intend to be? That he intended for you and for me upon that cross? That what he intended for you by sending the Holy Spirit? Restore the cutting edge located in my life. I need to start afresh. Is that the longing and the passion of your heart? If it is, the altars are open right now for you to make your way to the cross. Start afresh. and Say, God, restore the cutting edge in my life. I can't go on the way I am. And tonight you've spoken to my heart. There's been an echo deep down. And I'm coming to trust you to restore the cutting edge in my life. Will you respond to that right now? Slipping out of your seat, coming to this altar tonight and doing business with him in the place of prayer.